at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, welcome to our new ESPN Overlords week. Yeah. Whatever era. Either ESPN owns us, we own them. Could be both. I mean, it's probably the former. Maybe a weird profit (laughs) sharing type situation. Maybe we're a timeshare. I'll take it. But, uh, yeah, for anyone who's living under a rock, I doubt you'd be able to happen upon this podcast and then find out the information. Um, ESPN's uh, John Wildhack will be taking over as the RNJD come August. Um, he replaces Mark Coyle, who left for Minnesota um, a couple months back. And, uh, yeah, Dan, I think everyone, for the most part, seems pretty on board. And I've seen a couple of dissenters here and there that don't love his lack of athletic administration um, background, but... By and large, it seems like people view the move uh, pretty positively. Yeah, I mean, the, the lack of athletic administration is definitely, like, that's the premier concern. Um, and I think we both would have, like, ideally, we would have loved to see, like, an uh, uh, experienced administrator, which is what we had in Mark Coyle. Um, obviously, the downside there is, you know, when you're going to get someone who uh, is an experienced administrator moving up the ranks, like, they might move up the ranks on you or move, uh, you know, I guess Midwest from the <laughs> ranks from you. So not that you know many of us would consider Minnesota like this hugely big jump up, but obviously has its advantages. But um, I think in a lot of other ways, like it checks off a lot of boxes. Um, we've kicked around like the whole how important is it to have uh, a Syracuse guy or an upstate New York guy, and I know we were both kind of like you know it'd be fine, like it's it's a fine thing to have. It's it's definitely not a bad thing. I think it's it's like a nice cherry on top, but. Um, obviously that, that's a big part of the news today. Uh, he's a SU, you know, 1980 grad and, um, there's a very good chance that he's taking a pay cut to come do this job at Syracuse. So it's a thing that he seems really passionate about. So for those of you who thought, you know, having an SU guy was like the most important thing, uh, it definitely checks that box. So, um, it's a really interesting hire, uh, definitely not one that I thought thing was on the radar for most of us. Uh, but I think there, there's some really high upside, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, I think when I saw the name from Pete Mel this morning, it was very, it was, I think, a quick Google search uh, was my first reaction. I feel like that was the first reaction of a lot of Syracuse folks. You'd probably have been surprised to know just how high up at ESPN he was. It seemed like a lot of people were rumoring that when uh, John Skipper steps down at ESPN that, that, uh, that he could have been next in line. Um I, I said it in the Q&A that Sean and I did. I've said it online, too. Like, it's, and you, you said it as well, it, it can't hurt to be an SU alum, but um, that was definitely not, you know, one through five on my priorities list. It doesn't seem like it was on the search committees either, um, at least according to them. Um, it just seemed like it was a nice to have. I think in some ways it's good because then you get that, um, you, you get to walk right past that kind of, you know, acclimation period that welcome period and walk right into the let's get stuff done um kind of time frame in the uh in the era 
at the same time, it does seem like, at least in his um, kind of sit down with Syracuse.com, that um, that he would be doing a little bit of that uh, nonetheless, which, I mean, it is what it is. It's, I don't think he's going to need the amount of time that Coyle did. I mean, Coyle needed a lot, a lot of time, I think, to get acclimated, um, especially because he's bounced around a lot, I feel like. In this case, um, there's not... Even if it's a couple of weeks, it's still much better than we've seen in the past. Yeah, it's an interesting move because even in his very brief tenure, um, Coyle kind of came in and uh, he was kind of a fixer. Like he was very much not Dr. Gross in a lot of ways, just in terms of like what his, his main jobs were. And obviously he didn't have a chance to like fully see overseas football being fit, but he made a, a hire that we're all very bullish on. Um, and obviously, Babers was then involved in this hire, so it seems like there should be uh, at least, you know, some uh, harmony there. And it also probably helps Babers that this is a guy not coming from the uh, world of college athletics directly. So it's not like, you know, he's coming from, uh, you know, Western Michigan and he has P.J. Fleck on the phone. Like, there's you know, there's no inherent coaching connection here. Um, so, like, a lot of the things that were issues under Dr. Gross uh were already in the process of being um if not fixed like accounted for under coil so you know maybe we could have used another year or two of that but now we have another big picture guy coming in where um i mean i I said on twitter and i said in our slack room and i said to everyone else i've talked to today uh, in every medium like it's no uh it should not be any surprise when you see the espn tag there because um, obviously we know basically since the moment we joined the ACC, the ACC network has been on the table. Uh, I forget the specifics. You can correct me if you know them off the top of your head, but I think if, if ESPN does not help launch a network in the next what year or two, uh, or at least get the, the machinations of that were, uh, in play, they have to pay the ACC money or something I crazy like that. Was, Cause this only, this, this piece of information only came about recently, at least in the public eye. Um, and, and no one from ESPN or the ACC uh, has commented on that. Um, and I believe it was some payout in the vicinity of $28 million or so that I believe it was this year. Like, if, if something's not locked down by the end of 2016, at least it doesn't have to be started, obviously. But if, if we're not significantly down the path and just working out the kinks and negotiations, um, I, I believe it was about a $28 million payout to the ACC. Yeah, it's something a lot. It's something like that, which has been reported. Um, and obviously, you know, we're not going to have an ACC network in a year from now. But it, all the indicators are that that is something that is likely to happen. It might not be the exact. It might not be an analog for the SEC network. It might be something a little more digital, like a like a really souped up version of what they have now. Um, I'm not even sure if there would be like a full channel or whatnot. Like, but but there will be. It seems like the the. Odds are there will be some kind of ACC network with ESPN and having uh, a former ESPN really high up uh, as an AD at Syracuse, A, positions ACC well, and B, positions Syracuse really well to be a, a very important player in this. Obviously, we always hear, um, as since we've joined the ACC, we always hear about the Tobacco Road Mafia and how those four schools, uh, and specifically Duke and UNC, kind of dominate the conference. And it seems actually kind of funny to hear that now when you see like what happens in the Big 12 with Texas. It's like not even in the same stratosphere. No. Um but if, if you have Syracuse making uh, playing this bid role as maybe like the liaison directly to ESPN, even beyond what we've already had as a conference, I think that's a pretty good place for Syracuse to be. Like you always want to have skin in the game, you always want to be important. Um, 
And for Syracuse to have like this big role that's vital to the success of the conference as a whole, especially when, you know, I'm sure there's, I mean, obviously we have Clemson fans, but the fans from a number of the older ACC schools probably still see us as kind of this weird, like recent hanger on attachment um, who occasionally beats them in basketball. Uh, having this like central role to the conference and the uh, and, and how vital the network will be to the conference going forward, um, especially with you know the looming threat of constant uh, expansion and realignment, um, I think that's a really good thing for SU. So that's exciting. Uh, so hopefully we're important. That's that's always good. Yeah, I, I would agree. And you know, I, I think the negotiations part is big of it, is a big piece of it. And I know I mentioned in the Q and A too that Sean and I did was about you know, kind of what role Newhouse could have and what role, you know, both current students and Newhouse grads could have. I mean, um, it, it's assumed that because the, uh, the SEC network is based out of Charlotte, that an ACC network would probably run itself out of that same hub. Uh, nonetheless, I don't really know how much more room they have um, over in Bristol if they want something a little more souped up um, up in the Northeast. Um, I mean, Newhouse seems like a perfect kind of base camp um, in the conference footprint, directly on a on a conference campus. Um, so yeah, I, I, again, this is based on nothing, but but you know, not even hearsay. This is just me just coming up with ideas. Um, I think this could potentially um, create a really cool opportunity uh, for Syracuse from an academic perspective um, down the road as well. Yeah, I mean, imagine with this uh, new campus we're getting. Like this whole, I know that entire area of campus is being revamped, um, as we've seen all the different uh, layouts and maps and whatnot. Um, yeah, just stick the ACC network right there. Just stick it like <laughs> that's the new house. New house and, four. Uh, new house four is the ACC network. Uh, it's entirely staffed by new house people and uh, and you know whatever full time employees they have. And let's let's run it out of run it out of old cues. Why not? <laughs> Sounds mean, like a great idea. I'm sure no one else in the conference will disagree. You know, I feel like I don't know if there'd be more rage from the rest of the conference or from all the non new house people at school who every single time. I mean. I know you were there for the back end. Were you there for when Newhouse Three opened? No, no, it was uh, it was open for a, a couple of years before I got there. Yeah, I, I was there when it opened, and, and the hand wringing and and hemming and hawing about about a third Newhouse building at that time from everybody was always entertaining to me as a Newhouse person, and and would, would definitely continue to be entertaining if if Newhouse built something uh, as part of a potential, you know, ACC, Syracuse, ESPN, you know, power grab on campus. Are you saying there was controversy uh, surrounding a thing happening on Syracuse's campus? I know. I can't, be- I can't believe it. Shock. Who would People got <laughs> upset about a thing that happened in terms of uh, something being built. I, that's that's mind-blowing to me. So much anger, so much hand-wringing. <laughs> <laughs> always, always, always. Oh, well. Um... So I guess, Dan, um, other than the, you know, lack of, and actually, no, using that as a jumping off point, um, the lack of athletics administration thing obviously means that he doesn't have his quote-unquote guys or gals that he's necessarily bringing in the door with him like almost any other AD candidate would. Um, How do you think that shapes his staff? Do you think that we're going to see a lot of people continue in their current roles um, because he already is familiar with them? Do you think that we're going to see him clean house and maybe bring in some, some non-traditional candidates or, or or maybe somewhere in the middle? It's so hard to know because we were kind of still in transition from the Dros administration, it feels like. like 
obviously there were holdovers and there were people that were still kind of doing their thing. Um, but I feel like Coyle probably didn't even have his full uh, team ready. And now he, he's taking some people back with him to Minnesota. Um, I really hope that uh, because he isn't doesn't come from this kind of administration world, that he kind of balances his big picture uh, business side of things with people who have worked in administration, um, whether those are Syracuse people or not. Like, you have to imagine that someone of his stature has plenty of connections uh, because he was so high up at ESPN and they're so interwoven with so many different conferences. Um, but I really hope that that's, that's his focus is, you know, I will work on, you know, building the bridges back to the alumni and doing all of the fundraising and, and you know, being the face of this athletic department, which is something that he should uh, supposed to be a incredibly passionate Syracuse fan um, and a lot of himself, which obviously is very important to a lot of people. Um, but then in the, like the day to day operations, I really hope he has uh, a really strong team that's done that before at a, at a high level. Um, and I mean, it'll be yet to be seen. That's why this is a really interesting hire because it's not. Uh, I think I think it checks a lot of boxes for people, uh, especially those who are focused on Syracuse ties. Um, and I think that gives it a really high upside, but there's, you know, there's inherent risk whenever you hire someone who hasn't done a job before, uh, especially one of this magnitude at this very crucial time uh, in Syracuse athletics. So, um, but, you know, he, he didn't ride dip to like basically being a second or third guy at ESPN by not being smart and knowing what he's doing. Uh, so hopefully, you know, I'm sure he understands that and I'm sure these discussions already happened with Siverud and everyone else. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that's good to note Severud's involvement too. Um, I don't necessarily, you know, I necessarily see Wild Heck as a puppet. I don't think he's going to be that at all. But I, I, I am curious if if Severud is is done this as kind of a like here's someone I already know, here's someone I already have a previous relationship with, here's somebody who doesn't have an athletics or administration background or even you know, kind of a, an academic background and, you know, this is kind of someone who I can work with and, and help shape him and, and the role into the image I'm looking for. I think the one thing that Siverud has done, and I, I think it split people down the middle, is that he's really kind of, um, he's had zero sacred cows. He, he's been very, very clear that the university will operate the way that he wants it to. Um, and, and will function uh, with his people um, in, in place and, and working to the efficiencies that, that he demands. Um, I'm curious that this isn't part of that as well. Yeah, it's very possible. I've actually been, like, it's a little counterproductive because, you know, we are both in, in some way or another members of the media, and uh, obviously it's good for us when, you know, we have a little bit of access and, and behind the scenes, but I think it's impressive uh, how little Siverud's administration leaks. Like, it, none of the really big things that we've had, obviously the Dome stuff, which has been going on since before he was on campus, there seems to be leaks all the time, and I'm not even sure if, like, that's avoidable <laughs> at this point. No. Um, but in terms of his big hires, uh, I mean, Coyle, we had a little bit more of a sense of Babers, but that's because he was so heavily rumored before anyway. Um, but the two AD hires, like, they just happened. Like, we did not, I mean, maybe someone listed Mark Coyle, like, once, but he wasn't like one of the shortlist guys that everyone was trying to come up with, and no one had had uh, no no oh, dad, his name is slipping. That's not good. I've been tweeting about him all day. Um, Wild Egg. Yes. No one had him anywhere like near uh, on their list, just because you know going and poaching a, a higher up from ESPN just didn't seem. Uh, I mean, if not unfeasible, just isn't the direction anyone was looking in. So. 
Um, the fact that he he's so his team seems to work so tightly and uh, seemingly efficiently, just based on what we do know about these searches, uh, is really impressive. And I think um, that excites me more than anything. It's he, he has you know he definitely has control of these situations, at least based on everything we know publicly. Yeah, I mean, I think. And for a lot of us, you know, coming from the kangaroo court that was, you know, the gross canter regime um, for so long, it just seemed like there were so many public flubs, so many embarrassing moments, so many silly missteps. Uh, and, and then you look at a guy like Sivarud, who's all business. He hired a, a guy like Coyle, who's all business. Uh, Baber seems like he's all business. Uh, Wild Hack, I mean, we'll see, but he, but he seems like all business and he's going to be kind of falling in line with what Sivarud wants. Um Again, some people might not love the amount of shakeups. I am personally all for them because I think that um, what was going on when I was on campus and a little bit before and definitely after as well, um, you know, under under the regime that's officially out the door at this point, um, was not really what we were looking for as a university, as an athletic community, and all that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited about what, what, what Sivarud has done um, to this point, and I am looking forward to, to a hell of a lot more of it. Yeah, and I look forward to having an AD for more than 10 months. So uh, yay, yay for that. Yeah, I mean, you know what, and, and this brings up a good point, too, because I was you know, talking about Sivarud's hires. Um, if we put his hires under the umbrella of anyone that he's been here for, um, so Coyle, Babers, Hopkins, technically, um, and now Wildhack, I mean, jury's still out on it, on three of those, but... I haven't hated any of them in the moment or, or, or thereafter. No, I, I thought the I still think the Twilight hire was a very good hire. Like what happened after, I think you have to divide like the process of making the hire and then you know the result of him leaving in ten months. Is no one could have foreseen that. Um, I still think that was a really good hire. I think this. I'm probably a little shakier on this, but it, it's like a. I'm, I think I call it a healthy it's an out uh, of the box hire. skepticism, but that's because it was so out of the box. Coyle was very in the box in terms of like. His, you know, we knew who he was. He was a very proven commodity. Uh, he came up through college athletics. So you knew, like, this guy knows what he's doing with running this, this department. He's a reach. Uh, yeah. The downside was that he didn't have obvious connections here, and that obviously bit us. Um, the, this new hire is very much, you know, the opposite. But I think if it works out, it could work out, you know, spectacularly. And, you know, if it doesn't, I mean, Syracuse is in a really good spot right now. And, and I mean, I don't think that... You know, in five years, we're going to be getting run out of the ACC. So I, I don't know how poorly things could go, honestly. I, I think I'm, I'm pretty cautiously excited about the opportunity here. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's all you can ask for, really. I would agree. And I think, yeah, if, if football is – if football shows itself on the right track or, or close – I think if football shows itself on the right track in a year or at least close to it, like if, if it's five and seven with an improving product on the field – and, and the Olympic sports can keep up what they're doing, and the basketball team can, can continue its, you know, run of just kind of stable success. Um, I don't think anyone can really complain. Like you said, short of us getting run out of the ACC, it's hard to really mess this thing up at this point because we're in a power conference. We, as an athletic department, have really, you know, made great strides. Um, I, I think in five years, I'm again, I, it's outside of football, not improving which again it'll be debatable how much is on him versus how much of that would be on, on Babers and, and to an extent Coyle um, 
it's kind of hard to screw this up, especially given his connections to the school and what he already knows about the job he's inheriting. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, there there isn't. Um, I don't think you can undersell that. Like, clearly, he really wanted to do this, and it's not going to be like, you know, if if, if he does something, he's doing it both as uh, an AD and as an alum. So it's. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's, it's, I, I think a lot of, of the people that we've heard from in terms of, you know, fans who thought uh, they really needed a Syracuse die, like we will see uh, how much that actually affects here. Yeah. And I think we're going to say, and the one thing I do hope it doesn't affect um, and, and feel free to disagree. I think that um, any hire should be from outside the family, if that makes sense in terms of the folks under him. Um, I know that some people are going to stay in. That's fine. Um, but what I'd like to see is his support staff really come from outside of Syracuse's walls because I do think that while there are benefits to having a Syracuse you know, person up top, there's also a benefit to having fresh sets of eyes underneath to not just be yes men and women, but to actually you know, provide some, some counterpoints. And you know that there's a lot of rising great people um, especially in terms of, you know, uh, female candidates, minority candidates. It's not to say that they're the only people that he can hire, but it's to say that there, there's alternative perspectives to the, you know, white male Syracuse grad um, all over the place. And, and, again, rising names in college administration, folks who've done it at larger schools with bigger football traditions, um, all of whom could potentially, um, you know, add something. And I wouldn't doubt if, well, at least, I wouldn't say I wouldn't doubt. I'd say I would hope that we use, you know, some of his ESPN connections to connect us to those other schools, presumably, you know, Big Ten, SEC, ACC schools that that, that ESPN has ties to, um, to to help fill in, you know, those roles that, that still need to be sorted out. Right. I think that's always very healthy. You always want to have, like, a mix of views and a mix of experiences. So, um, you know, just because our basketball staff works really well and is all – Syracuse people does not mean that needs to be the entire athletic department and obviously you know isn't the case across the board so um yeah I totally agree I think uh hopefully he like you said uses these connections and he should have many I mean he's a he was I think the head of content at ESPN uh he he knows plenty of people especially um like you said SEC Big Ten ACC all have major uh ESPN ties so I I don't think there'll there'll be any like shortage of uh potential people in the pool to add to the team here. Um, I think it's going to be super interesting to see where he goes. It's like, even with Toil, you kind of knew, oh, you know, these are the people he could bring along with him. He trusts them. And that's good because, you know, like, like Babers, like he worked with these people. He knows what their strengths are. This is going to be a little more uh, open-ended just because, you know, we're not bringing the editorial team from ESPN over to run our athletic department. So um, as much as, as having David Hale uh, <laughs> running, you know, the ticket off would be guy. fun. Yes. <laughs> Only Syracuse, um, you know, or having, you know, Andrea Adelson, you know, do dome operations. Uh, I think, you know, it'll be very, it'll be way more interesting to see where he goes in those directions. And, and I think you'll see some, uh, some unique things. Um, and if anything, like we saw today, like this was like a big part of the news cycle. This was a huge story, if only because then every other, every person at ESPN decided they, I mean, they all, a lot of them knew him or, you know, had experiences with him. So, we heard uh, really quick that, you know, this is one respects and likes, so that, that can't hurt either. No, not at all. And, yeah, I think 
I do have a lot of faith here. I think Severud is not one to, to endorse group think mentality. I think the benefit, um, and even when Coyle brought in his folks, he didn't bring in everybody from Boise. He brought in a couple people from Boise, and it wasn't as if these were people that he had been working with for 30 years. These are like some people that he either picked up along the way or, or inherited when he got there. Like There was a lot. There was still a lot of different perspectives there. Um, I think you saw the, the dangers of group think uh, when... Um, Gross had, you know, many members of his uh, Oregon Mafia. If, if you started digging into the, the profiles of a lot of the, the higher-ups um, in the Gross regime, um, all came from similar backgrounds and, um, you know, all had similar career goals, all had... Um, th- there was very little difference um, for, for a lot of those folks, and I think it showed, um, you know, with lack of oversight and other things... Um, so for me, yeah, and I know you agree, it's, I would just love a little bit of, I'd love a little bit of variance and I think we're going to get it. Um, and maybe we see some more outside the box thinking, I, I would hope it's a little more of a traditional group of hires, but, um, you know, if, if he wants to, to roll the dice on, on a roll underneath him, similarly to how we're rolling the dice on him, I, I can't really doubt him there either. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, very legit. Indeed, indeed. Um, all right. You know what? We're coming up on halftime, so why don't we just go to halftime, and then we have, uh, we have more time to potentially not talk about Big Ten teams. That's fine with me. <laughs> so what have you been drinking, Dan? Uh, I'm just pulling it up now. Um, oh. Uh, I think, did I talk about the... Yeah, I didn't have a ton of new beers this weekend. Um, actually, I had a few that I forgot to mark down, uh, unfortunately. Um, I think the... Uh, fortunately, I was down the Jersey Shore, and for whatever reason, it's not a huge area for uh, new beers, uh, at least where I was. Uh, so I had some Sierra Nevada, and I had some other like kind of standard stuff, but uh, nothing too crazy. And I was at a party on, fr- on Friday, and I had a bunch of new stuff, and I literally can't remember what any of it was. And, uh, I mean, it was a good party. I to put them on... <laughs> it wasn't even that. I just, I for whatever reason, I just did not put them on untapped. And as soon as I like, I left. I realized what I had not done, and uh, so I can't share this with you. Benefits of a photographic memory, Dan. I get to, I get to drink all day, and then remember the next day what I drink. You know, we can't, we can't be all, can't all be so special. I'll see if I can think of some, but uh, I'm not going to count on it because they were all like, they were all things I like hadn't had even like the, they were all from, like new breweries I hadn't had too. So. You're all missing out on my great insights. Womp womp. All right. On my end, um, had from Smog City, had Incurable Optimist. It was their anniversary uh, beer. It was a mix of a wild ale and wit beer. Uh, so had a had a lot going on, but in a good way. Um, Smog City's Grape Ape. It's an IPA uh, with the white wine uh, grapes uh, must thrown in there. So... One of their better ones. It comes out a few times a year. I grabbed a growler of it. That was enjoyable. Um, as I mentioned last week, lunch has been appearing from Main Beer Company um, in L.A., which is awesome. Uh, so I got to have a little bit of that uh, at a couple different spots. Um, Firestone Walker's Luponic Distortion IPA has their uh, second batch um, out. And uh, it's a little bit different than the first um, it seems a little more tropical, but other than that, just a, just a good standard IPA that you can find a lot of places around here. 
had Noble Ale Works uh, Nose Candy, their Session IPA. Um, also saw Damnation from uh, Russian River on draft over at Surly Goat in West Hollywood. And a buddy of mine in Texas sent a few different beers um, from some of his travels. Uh, got to have some Gumball Head uh, Pale Ale from Three Floyds. I got to have Pseudo Sue from Top and Goliath, which I will definitely contend is one of the best pale ales around. Um, had Terrapin Beer Company's uh, Hopsecutioner, and then just drank some crap beer at Dodger Stadium because their only thing under like ten bucks now is Budweiser. Ew! It's not great. It's cost seventeen dollars now to drink uh, three twenty nine pale uh, three twenty nine lager, which is not even like an amazing beer from Golden Road. Um, you would think that being bought by AB InBev would have reduced the price on that, and instead it's actually gone up by about $5. That's crazy. Like, uh, I, that's one of the things I appreciate about a city. Like, obviously, it's still expensive because it's a ballpark, but you can get some like decent beers for, you know, 9 bucks maybe. Like, they have like their New York beer stands, which have legitimately good things, and they have you know some other ones. Like, you, there's a, at least like a, a very solid, if not like, you know, won't blow you away, but uh, a lot of local stuff, and it's not crazy expensive compared to um, definitely compared to like MSG and Barclays in the city. So and Yankee Stadium. So seventeen dollars is crazy. Yeah, I, I like LA's beer prices are always a little out of whack. Um, at Dodger Stadium, they were actually reasonable. It used to be about twelve bucks for you know a, a tall boy at three twenty nine, and that was actually pretty solid. Um, and, and now, I mean. The prices there went up. Everything's kind of out of whack. I mean, again, $9 for, for a 12-ounce Budweiser is about as good as you're going to get um, beer price-wise. Uh, it's not great. A little disappointed because I, I felt like they'd made so many strides on that front, and now I feel like they've taken 50 steps back. Uh, and you guys, you know, you're the Dodgers, so. Yeah, I mean, they won. It was a fun game. I went on Monday, so there was all the fireworks and all the other shenanigans. Uh, well, actually, what my buddy who's a big Orioles fan, um, so got to enjoy a nice back and forth game. Dodgers came back and won late innings, and then yeah, got to got to enjoy my Fourth of July at the stadium. Definitely recommended if anyone didn't spend their Monday at the ballpark, which based on my Facebook feed seemed like a lot of people did. Um, it's not the worst way to spend a holiday. Right off, I'm hoping to get to City. Hopefully Sunday. I haven't been in a while. It's been like a weird... Last year I was at... I probably went to like 20, 25 Mets teams. This year I've been to one. Um, so you're going to buy season like, tickets this year. I was. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it, it fell through like last second and then that worked out because I, like, I wouldn't have been able to go nearly as much as I wanted to. I mean, I probably would have gone more just because I would have felt bad about not using them. But uh, yeah, so maybe next year. But uh, just schedules haven't worked out as well. So, But uh, hopefully I get back on this. You know, And part of that was like the Mets slipped really bad for two or three weeks. Um, but now they're the best time. It's the best time to go because they're cheaper. Yeah, I mean they're still pretty inexpensive. I thought there was gonna be a bigger a bigger bump in the uh, secondary market prices. Mets don't get bandwagoners. It's been yeah, it's been like you know a little bit, but it's still you know if you're going on a, a Sunday afternoon against a non like Yankees or uh, Cubs opponent, like you're still gonna be able to get in for like twenty bucks. So hopefully gonna do that at least once this weekend. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, I won't be at a... I mean, I saw the Mets against the Dodgers out here this year. Um, 
and it won't be at a, a Mets home game this season. And it doesn't look like next season either, which is bad, because um, I'm going to be in town for a wedding in March. So season hasn't started yet. I was hoping the wedding was going to be in April or so, so I'd be able to catch a game. But uh, nope, we're going to be there actually during what would be the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. So perhaps if... Uh, Which are at MSG, right? Yeah, they are. So perhaps, perhaps if that works out, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll be seeing everybody at MSG. Hey, Andrew White, uh, maybe you should come to Syracuse so John can watch, uh, watch you play at the Darden yeah, as that. a one or two seed. Yeah, let's let's not let's not wait six years between times that I see Syracuse basketball play again like I did last time. But on that note, Big Ten basketball. Since we did talk about Andrew White, who is a potential transfer from Nebraska, uh, so I don't know, Dan. Where do you want to start here, Ohio State? Um, sure. They're they uh, they're good again. They're really good. They've like. 50-4 and four over the last four years, I think. That'll happen when Urban um, Meyer's your coach. They have Urban Meyer, who's one of the two best coaches in the country. As we discussed uh, last week. Yeah. <laughs> um, they have JT Barrett, who's one of the five best quarterbacks in the country, and they're actually starting him because they're smart, uh, unlike last year when they overthought the entire thing. Um, and uh, otherwise, they lose a lot because they had, what, like uh, all of the first-round picks? Yeah, but who cares? Because if you just replace five stars with five stars, it's fine. Yeah, so I think with Ohio State, there's going to be a bit of a, if, if not a rebuild, I think it, it might take a little bit, especially on defense where they lose just so much talent. Um, offensively, I, I always, as, as you probably know by now if you've listened to these previews, like if you back, I trust you uh, in just so much more than I trust you if you don't. And JT Barrett, uh, especially two years ago, once he really got going as a starter, um, he's he's incredible. Like he is so accurate, makes all the right decisions. He's dangerous with his legs, but that's not like his only thing. Last year they turned him into this weird like he was the designated runner, and then they just didn't have this rhythm with him because they they went with Cardale, which I get to a point. Um, but I just think they overthought the whole situation. JT was was unbelievable for most of the season. Cardale stepped in and had three great games and won the championship, but. You know they were also blindsiding teams because no one knew what he was and they were playing their best football. So um, obviously last year they were way better once Barrett took over the job and down the stretch they were terrifying. Um, this year is going to be really interesting. They they have Oklahoma week three, uh, which is going to tell us a lot about this entire college football season. Uh, they're both definitely in the playoff conversation. The game's in Norman, um, Oklahoma. Obviously they got in with one loss. Uh, but that might be tough to do again. Like we still, we're still trying to feeling out what the playoff looks like from year to year. Um, and obviously, Ohio State, like they're going to probably need to run the table, or you know, maybe sneak by with one loss if they can knock off Michigan State and Michigan, which is going to be tough, uh, like as any year. So, um, I really like them though. They're super talented. Like outside of Alabama, they're probably the most talented team in the country. Um, they have a lot of guys who have just kind of been waiting in the wings, who are four and five star guys and just crazy athletes, and they have. You know, outside of Deshaun Watson, I don't know that there's that many of that quarterbacks that I would automatically take over Barrett. Like, he's just very consistent. Uh, and I expect him to get off to a hot start this year because he doesn't have to deal with all the nonsense from last season. Yeah, I think consistency is something that, um, you know, Meyer probably should have instituted, especially uh, with Tom Herman gone. It just would have made a lot more sense. Instead, he allowed the team to kind of 
um, bounce around. I did, you saw a little bit of a championship hangover. There was a little bit too much of a sense of accomplishment um, in the team going into the year, and, and you definitely saw them mail in some games against lesser opponents. Um, the fact that Michigan State was able to beat them the way they did um, was kind of the nail in the coffin for me in terms of... Without Connor Cook. Yeah, without Connor Cook. <laughs> yeah, that's such of, a mystifying game. Um, I watched the whole and, thing. It didn't make any goddamn sense the entire time. No, nothing about it. But Ohio State played like shells themselves. Um, I've got a similar thing happening to them this year, as did last year. Um, I think they're going to lose one game to, to one of the, the big two in the division, and that's going to serve as the as the tiebreaker that, that they don't want. Um, I've got Michigan winning the East, which uh, I know will, will overjoy anyone who produces content on the, on the interwebs. Oh, God, Jim Harbaugh on Twitter after that. It's going to be so good. That's oh, going to be the best. Like, I, I can't even begin to think of the shade that he's going to start throwing. Like, I mean, he's not going to be throwing darts. He's going to be throwing bombs at, at Michigan State and Ohio State if Michigan wins the East. Are we, are we rolling into Michigan now? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so Michigan is basically like the inverse of Ohio State, not only because they're Michigan and Ohio State, but just in terms of their roster construction. Uh, Michigan basically brings back everyone on a really good defense and adds Don Brown from Boston College, who is a really good defensive coordinator, who um, did really good things with the last couple of years with a pretty limited team, uh, as we know. Um, and he has guys like Jabril Peppers and uh, just really, really good. He, uh, Harbaugh actually inherited like a way better situation than people people realize. Like um, Hoke was a trash game day coach, but he oh, yeah. could recruit. Like, I don't know really how he could recruit because, like, Brady Hoke has negative charisma, but he could. <laughs> um, so they have a pretty pretty loaded defensive uh, roster uh, that should only get better with Brown. Um, not that DJ Durkin was a slouch. He obviously did a really good job, but Brown, like, is about as good a defensive coordinator as you'll find. Offensively, I still have questions because their quarterback situation, like, unlike Ohio State, they just – they have playmakers. They, I would say, probably don't have as quite as much uh, – Raw talent as Ohio State does, um, but maybe a little more experience. But quarterback is going to be a major question. You have uh, just a litany of guys, and it doesn't seem like there's a clear one uh, stepping out. So um, if they find one, like if uh, one of like the four guys in contention step up, then you know maybe it's a different story. But there's there's no one no one with much experience except for John O'Corn, who played at Houston um, and had like a really good freshman year. We were actually recruiting him pretty hard a couple years ago. Really good freshman year, kind of fell off the table and lost his job, and then uh, transferred. So he's an interesting one. Um, you have Alex Malzone, who's uh, a young, young kid. I think he's coming off his redshirt year. Uh, you have Shane Morris, who was murdered by Brady Hoke a couple years ago. Um, so there really isn't an obvious answer there. Uh, so it's one of the more intriguing quarterback battles in the country because it's just like all question marks. It's not like, like Notre Dame where they have the two guys who have both played really well or Ohio State last year. Yeah, I'm going with O'Corn just out of experience. Um, but yeah, I, I could definitely see Harbaugh, and this is where Michigan could definitely falter. Um, I could see Harbaugh doing a little too much shuffling at the beginning, um, and, and potentially, you know, seeing this team kind of struggle to find its identity on offense. They do return a lot, um, which I think is huge, and they return a lot, you know, at the key positions other than quarterback, uh, wide receiver, and, and offensive line. Uh, I think that that's going to be big for them. But again, I. I the quarterback situation, and you do bring up a good point, does does worry me a little bit. 
Um, it worries me at Michigan State as well, uh, since we're, we're segueing here. Um, Michigan State has to replace a lot, um, I think, on both sides of, of the field. Uh, obviously, Connor Cook, while not completely indispensable, I mean, he did play in that Alabama drubbing, um, so it didn't really do much good to have him in. Uh, and obviously, he didn't play against Ohio State at all, and they still won that game. That said, Cook was a good college quarterback. Um, he helped Michigan State get to heights that they hadn't seen in, in decades. Um, I think Michigan State takes a mild step back, but I do think that they, unlike the last times that they've done this, um, I, I do feel like uh, D'Antonio has is, is figured out a way to, to create and build some real quality depth at, you know, at East Lansing that you know, this program wasn't um, prior, prior to the last couple of years. Yeah, I think just on paper they're running third. Um, and this could be awful for us if going, you know, if in a couple months, uh, they're jumping out ahead and look great because D'Antonio, we also talked about in that discussion for like one of the five best coaches in college football. Um, he's really, I mean, he turned them into the premier program in Michigan for the last, you know, six, seven years. Um, they, they, they are interesting. They lose, they lose a lot. They still have some really nice pieces on defense. Blake McDowell's one of the best interior linemen in the entire country. Um, they have a nice linebacking core led by Raleigh Bulla, whose name should sound familiar to Syracuse fans. Um, they have, you know, they have really nice pieces across the board. They're actually recruiting now at like, they've, they've kind of taken that step forward in recruiting. So they're starting to get uh, more elite talent, but I think those guys are a lot younger. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, they lose Tanner Cook, who like you said, wasn't, uh, I wouldn't call him like, you know, an elite college quarterback, but he was super productive. He could make all the throws and he, he led them to a lot of huge wins. Um, so it wouldn't shock me. I think on paper, you're, you're probably looking at like an eight or nine win team, but you know, like we said, like that Ohio state game last year, counting out Michigan state is, uh, you know, do it at your own peril. And, uh, it wouldn't shock me if they were able to stun one of the two big teams or, you know, uh, make something huge happen, uh, in those crossover games, um, it's uh, it's tough though. And then they, I think did they open with no. That was last year. They opened with Oregon. I didn't think they, they did that again. They got um, Notre Dame, and well, actually, no, they have a second week bye, which sucks. And then they have week three at Notre Dame, but with rest. I forgot they had Notre Dame back on the schedule this year. So that's gonna be a really interesting one. There's this uh, week two kind of takes a nap, but then week one and week three are so good. And there's. You know what? Michigan State's schedule does cooperate, not going to lie. Um, they have Ohio State and Michigan at home. Yep. Um, they, their only two like real challenges on the road are Notre Dame and Penn State. And even then, I don't really think yeah. Penn State's all that much to brag about. Who knows what Penn State is? They do have to host Wisconsin, which isn't like ideal in terms of the West crossovers, but at least they're bringing them... I don't really buy Wisconsin, but you never know when they're going to have like one of those crazy 400-yard rushing performances. All right. So, and they have BYU, which is which is which is always weird. Yeah, and Northwestern. You know, they had a nice year last year, but then Tennessee kind of ruined their lives. Um, so it's I don't know. They have an interesting schedule. It definitely could work out for them if they beat Notre Dame week three. Then they're probably for real, uh, and that could always happen. Transmission State has given Notre Dame problems uh, in recent years. Not, they haven't played in a little while, I think, since uh, Notre Dame did the half ACC thing. But um, I remember in my time as a Notre Dame fan back in the day before I was converted to the uh, bright side, um, Michigan State was always kind of a thorn. And that was before Notre, uh, Michigan State was like what they are now. So 
that should be a really good one and one of those like really telling early season games like like Oklahoma Ohio State you you will know a lot about what college football will be in 2016 uh, from week one and week three. Yeah, and I think in general, just September, um, I, teams are challenging. Teams that are contenders are challenging themselves more in, in the early goings. I think their conference schedules are too. I mean, Michigan State faces Notre Dame and Wisconsin um, in the first month of the season. Like you said, um, you know, Ohio State tests themselves against Oklahoma. Oklahoma tests itself against Houston and Ohio State. I mean, if Oklahoma is undefeated at the end of September, um, I'd, I'd be shocked if anyone can stand in their way um, in, in terms of the rest of the season. Uh, I think Michigan State, if they can finish September undefeated, um, they're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with in um, in the Big Ten. I, I think you know their showdown later on with Ohio State, the second to last week, um, is built for game day at this point. Um, if if those teams can get through September unbeaten. No, absolutely. Um, I don't know if we're going to jump into Oklahoma right now, but um, <laughs> until you know, they, they aren't in the yet. Big Ten, just despite what you know, some people on the internet will probably tell you is imminent. Um, no, but I totally agree with all that. Yeah, you know, I was going to jump into Penn State and talk shit about them, but I think instead we're going to jump over to the West um, for a little bit anyway. Um, I don't want to talk about all these teams because they're all just half of them are trash. Um, so the cutoff point is going to be four. So Minnesota, Illinois, and Purdue, you're out. Uh, we're not talking about Yeah, you. Minnesota, you're out anyway. You could yeah. be number one. You're out. You're Sorry. Out. <laughs> Shouldn't have sent that truck. <laughs> Shouldn't have sent the goddamn truck, and then things would have been different. <laughs> That's what you get. You don't need to be discussing our podcast. Take that. So I guess we'll talk about Wisconsin, not because they're the best team in the division, because I don't think they are, but because they're the most consistent team in this division. Uh, year in and year out, uh, we're facing them in 2019. I again don't know why, but yeah, Wisconsin, Wisconsin's doing that thing where you know they they still don't know how to develop quarterback talent um, in a very long time. I still don't understand why they just keep doing the transfer thing. NC State is actually copying them now and doing the transfer thing, which is funny because I feel like NC State Wisconsin was one of the original like grad transfer controversies. Um, with Russell Wilson. Shout out to Russell yeah. Wilson, getting married today. Way to go, guy. You finally did it, literally and figuratively. We did this, we did this for the SEO. <laughs> I'm definitely putting this in the podcast description. As you should. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, Wisconsin grad Russell Wilson today <laughs> gets married, and now we're going to talk about his quote-unquote alma mater. Um, Wisconsin replaces a lot. Um, everybody really high in Wisconsin seems to not really care about that. I do, um, because they're replacing half the line, um, pretty much any skill position player except for Rob Wheelwright at wide receiver. Um, I don't love that. Um, they're hitting reset on most of their secondary. Don't love that either. Um, I've been pretty, uh, pretty bearish uh, on Wisconsin in my preseason predictions, I'm going seven and five, and uh, and I could even be convinced it's six and six. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I think their one uh, saving grace is their what it always is is that their running backs are really really good. Uh, Corey Clement obviously was hurt for part of last year, but he a couple of years ago when uh, when Melvin Jordan had that crazy season, like Corey Clement was also awesome. Oh, yeah. He just didn't get nearly as many touches. Uh, and then Dare uh, Ogunbowale is also quite good for a backup running back and pretty productive. 
Um, so if they get good line play, which, you know, is a staple of Wisconsin, uh, though no guarantee, um, because they do have a lot of turnover, uh, they should, you know, they're going to do what Wisconsin does. Um, they could roll most of the Big Ten West uh, every year. The Big Ten West uh, sucks. Have, Yep. <laughs> Very bad division, almost always. Last year was helped because Iowa, who I'm guessing we'll talk about next, uh, came out of nowhere um, to be really good until they played Stanford. Uh, but otherwise, yeah. I mean, well, there's a reason why Wisconsin kind of has a stranglehold on this and why seeing people, everyone's like, yo, why don't you put Michigan State here to make it a little more interesting? Because when Michigan State decides to tank, then you once again have a shitty division because Michigan State is not a job that you can sustain that sort of success at without very good hires uh, in a row. So where are we, where are we, where are we sending Mark D'Antoni? Um, what job is he taking? Well, not USC. Because USC would never do no, that. No, that wouldn't be a USC hire at all. Um, he's a uh, what he graduated? He graduated from uh, oh South Carolina. No, he's not going. And to. obviously they didn't they didn't coach no, him. That, yeah. that would have been yeah, crazy. because because yeah, that would be such a downward um, move. Um, no, I've got him. I've got him at LSU. Ooh. So basically, he's just doing the saving. Yeah. He's he's going full <laughs> saving. Full saving. That'd be so funny. I've got him at LSU. Uh, although, you know what, though? I, I feel like Les bought himself two years now. Uh, I think this year's this yeah. year's team goes 10-2. and two. I think 2017's team's a death machine, which sucks because we're facing them in Baton Rouge. I think 20... What, are you doing, like, like Ewing Theory on, uh, on Fournette? Uh, no, I just think the rest of the team is just too... I mean, you looked up and down that roster. You're like, okay, you're going to be an NFL safety. You're going to be an NFL linebacker. You're going to be a you know top five NFL tackle by like your second year in the league. There's just too much there. We'll talk plenty about LSU later in the summer. Um, but yeah, quick aside before we get to Iowa, I was looking at Wisconsin's top recruits, and surprisingly, for a land grant school, uh, they really don't mind their own state that much. Um, There's not that much there. That's like, true. It's not it's not a great recruiting, but they 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 get like the big the big linemen. Like there's always linemen. Uh, actually, one of them might start this year, Bo uh, Ben Schwazel, Ben's Shawel, Bo Ben's Ben Schwazel. Can we go back um, to Schwazel? Because serious... I really want that to be his name. Schwazy <laughs> uh, was, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, this name doesn't leave me. This was a Syracuse commit at one oh. point, right? Right. That sounds right. Uh, and his dad was he's from Wisconsin, and then they they you know he they never offered here. him and. No, as soon as he got the as soon as he got the, the Wisconsin offer, we knew he was gone, which is fair enough. Like his dad went there and played there. Yeah, so yeah, he was a he flipped on October twenty fourth, two thousand thirteen. Yeah, I'm looking at like the top ten recruits, like for for Wisconsin, and like I didn't realize like how much they did some like worldwide uh, recruiting here. They got Wisconsin, Arizona, Missouri, Maryland, Indiana, Ohio, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Kansas, and Georgia is like their their effective top 10 recruits that sounds like a school that wants satellite camp that's that's exactly what they are and i'm sure paul chris seems like a satellite camp guy oh yeah he's definitely touring he's definitely touring the country have fun with that guy spreading spreading the good word of chris (laughs) you know if he was smart he would only have satellite camps um during the winter months because why would you want to be in wisconsin during those no, yeah. I mean, the one time I went to Wisconsin was in like August, so it was that it was like when I went to Syria. <laughs> it was really hot. It was really hot. <laughs> that sounds that sounds um, also awful in, 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 in an opposite way. I mean, I was in 
I mean, I was in Green Bay, and I got to, like, tour Lambeau Field and all oh, the facilities. So that was, like, baller as hell. Um, but it was hot. It was really hot. <laughs> and, I mean, that's it's similar to my, my, one, my visit to Syracuse two weeks before I had to decide where I was going to college. Uh, after my parents decided to pack, or my mom decided to pack, like, winter clothes and jackets and thought we were going to, you know, uh, the Yukon, not, not the school, the area of Canada. And um, it was 95 degrees. <laughs> And I had to give, like, a, a presentation to try to win a scholarship in, like, full shirt and tie, and I was dying in uh, the uh, Maxwell Auditorium. So that was good times, but I chose it, you know. There was no snow, so I guess that was Yeah, good. I went twice in October and once in April before I went to there. So, I mean, I mean that is prime recruiting time for Syracuse. Yeah, man, just like Bayheim says. This is how it always is. It's always 95 up here. I don't know what anyone talks about. <laughs> this is Miami North. Dumbass. <laughs> that quote is attributed to Dr. Gross. So on Iowa, um, speaking of gross things, um, no, Iowa was interesting last year. Uh, early on, I felt like they were not fun to watch at all. Um, they were. They weren't really fun after that either. They were. Just you know good. what? Yeah, like they weren't fun either. But but at least they were interesting. Like second half of the season, Iowa. Like you at least like okay. Like I understand why this team is undefeated. And like they're not they're not amazing to watch, but they were more fun to watch than they were at the beginning when they were like struggling to beat Pitt and struggling to beat Ohio like Iowa State. Um, I I don't see similar outcomes for them this year. Um, I think they're gonna win the West again, um, and I think they're probably gonna go somewhere in the nine and three to ten and two range. Yeah, I mean, I think there should be some regression just because they won a lot of those really close games and they got lucky a couple times. They do have, I mean, if we're following my general rules, they have C.J. Beathard, who was way better than I don't think probably even he even expected. Like they had like that weird thing where uh, their other where Jake Rudock went up to Michigan and and Beathard was like had been okay the year before and had some bright spots, but he was really just you know solid, effective. Um, good quarterback play that you sign for most years. Nothing crazy. In the Big Ten, but, you don't really, you know, outside of Ohio State, you're not really going to get, like, amazing quarterback play anyway. Yeah. And then their defense is rock solid. Uh, they have Desmond King, who is an awesome, awesome cornerback. Might be, like, a top ten pick next next uh, spring. Um, so, yeah, I think they should be good again. Uh, Kurt Ferentz will probably get another 20-year extension if they win 10 games. <laughs> the King um, of Iowa. <laughs> it's going to be the name of the movie. All the corn to Kirk. Fucking uh, who? Though? Christopher Walken is gonna like, gonna play <laughs> the king of Iowa. I hope. I hope that like you know Arizona gives their coaches Arizona and Arizona State like give uh, Rich Rod and and Todd Graham like oil futures. Yeah. I hope Iowa just gives Kurt Ferentz like seventy five million dollars in corn just futures. Ethanol. <laughs> like, just, yeah. just yeah, just ethanol money. <laughs> you know when this country runs on corn in like ten years. Again, corn isn't literally everything you eat, and that's probably good. like I'd probably take that. That'd probably be a very good economic. Move. I, have no I have no idea. King of Iowa. Don't go buy corn futures based on this podcast. King of Iowa. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm a sports writer. <laughs> so you could have King of Iowa and like King of Iowa too. Mother Shucker would be directed. Direct the directed DVD, DVD sequel. sequel. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so that's how much we talk about a top ten team. Um, the other team we're going to talk about is Nebraska, not because I want to, is because I feel like I'm going to have to. I mean, they're the op- I mean, they're not the opposite. I think Iowa will be pretty good. Nebraska is like the ultimate, um, like everyone thinks they're going to regress to the mean the opposite way and go from five and seven to like 
I think their Pythagorean wins last year were like eight plus because they had all they had like four or five just absolutely heartbreaking losses. And, they beat Michigan State. Um, and then they had the one. Yeah, but then they had the one absolutely bullshit win against Michigan State, which kind of helped balance things out. And they beat UCLA um, too, which like whatever. Yes, they finished six and seven, but like they had like some of their losses were absolutely devastating. Um, they actually have a nice team. I I, I kind of like them. Tommy Armstrong, like I don't know that he'll ever be great, but he can you know beat some teams that don't really know how to handle his uh, dual threat ability. Jordan Westertamp, I feel like, has been in college forever. He's one of those guys that makes like a million great catches. Um, he sounds like he belongs movies. at Northwestern, to be honest. He <laughs> <laughs> went to the wrong school, Jordan. Brandon Riley's pretty good. Like they have a really they have they have an interesting team. Um, Terrell Newby's pretty good. Divine Zidbo's uh, an interesting player. Um, another guy that was like kind of being recruited by Syracuse, and there was like a weird story there. Um, so they could be. I, I'm kind of buying in on them. Not to be like some people have them winning the West. I think that might be a little aggressive, but I think they'll definitely be in the mix unless uh, the whole thing comes falling apart and it's just a repeat of last year. But that would be hard because last year, like I said, they they lost some games by like you shouldn't be able to lose as many games in just gut wrenching fashion as they did in one season. Yeah, by that. Although you know what, like you look at the schedule though, and it doesn't really cooperate. <laughs> you got Oregon. That's a loss. Um, you got at yeah like, the road games suck. At Northwestern, at Wisconsin, at Ohio State, at Iowa. Like, you could lose all of those games. Yeah, that's why I don't know. That's why I'm not buying in them as, like, a 10-win team. And, and I don't think that's, like, the prevailing theory, but I think some people have had that, like, as, you know, they're going to flip it all the way. But um, I think, you know, eight or nine wins. You know, right back we're right back in Nebraska's real house. <laughs> We're right in Polini territory. Um, Good thing we fired Bo Polini. Yeah, so the you could hire Mike Riley. Um, to basically do the same. He's thing. happy. He's nice, Polini. This is like, like, look at the schedule. Like, they could easily start like six and one, and then just like tank and maybe lose every game, like from then on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they have that. At least they have that respite in between at Iowa, Ohio State, and at Iowa, where they get Minnesota, who you know, not that that's a pencil and win at all, because Minnesota's kind of weirdly salty all the time, but never good. Um, and then Maryland, who I don't think anyone expects too much from this yeah, year, next year, maybe down the road. Next year, yeah. I mean, Durkin's recruiting really well, um, but they're still rebuilding. Uh, but yeah, like it starts pretty easy aside from Oregon at Northwestern. Like you would hope they would win that, but obviously that's no guarantee because Northwestern, you know, every so often is pretty good as they were last year. Um, but yeah, the road games definitely don't help. Like you'd rather not play Northwestern in Evanston, uh, even if that's not like the, the craziest home field by any stretch. But at Wisconsin, at Ohio State, in back-to-back weeks, it's pretty rough. And then at Iowa, going out of the uh, the pink locker room, um, not the easiest place either. So the home and away definitely didn't work out in their favor. But I think, you know, they, they could wade through this and get eight or nine wins uh, if things break right this time. I agree. And I guess the last team we'll talk about in the Big Ten West, because, again, we're not talking about those other three trash teams, uh, Northwestern. Uh, Get out of here, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, Stop listening. <laughs> So Pat Fitzgerald uh, doesn't know how to put two solid seasons together in a row, ever, um, which makes Northwestern unfortunate. Um, I don't mind Northwestern. They have a gorgeous campus. Uh, football field's all right. Uh, they're not as close to Chicago as they want you to believe, but they're still pretty close in the big scheme of things. Um, it's just that you wouldn't know that they played that close when you walk around Chicago and you see all this Notre Dame shit. 
Um, can we bring up, before we talk about Astro yes. Football, that Darren Ravel, in response to our AD hire, Darren Ravel said he wants to be the AD at Northwestern, and that's the greatest idea I've ever heard, and I want that to happen so much. It would, it would just ruin, ruin Northwestern for me, and, and you would think that the 43-42 the to 42 defeat of Syracuse would have ruined Northwestern for me, but it didn't. Um, no, I'm still on the Northwestern train because I always support solidarity with private school football. Um, except Baylor, fuck them. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I wouldn't want Ravel to ruin Northwestern, but at the same time, I would want Ravel to ruin Northwestern in spectacular fashion. Oh my, oh my. It, it, see, I have no problem with Northwestern, but Darren Ravel being the AD there would be so funny. Aside from the fact that we'd get, we'd have this weird thing where we have to play them. Like, you know, he would schedule a 50 year, uh, con- contract with us in Missouri. Like that would oh, happen. Yeah. That'd be the first thing he did. We'd be playing both those schools every year for the foreseeable future, which, um, unless we've turned it around, like, may not be the best thing, just because, you know, we want our wins. Um, not that we couldn't beat those. I mean, we have beaten both those teams recently. Hi, Mizzou. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, see, that's the thing. I wouldn't yeah. mind that if, if, if the three teams were on an equal playing field. Which they could be, but, like, it's not guaranteed. Just throw Vandy um, in there instead of Mizzou. Then we're all right. Do they even have their broadcast school? I mean, Vandy's not really good at broadcast, but it doesn't matter. Let's just let's let's just pretend. Let's just call them. Um, let's call them non-meth Mizzou, and, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll just plug them in instead, and we'll still call it the J School Bowl. Whatever, that works. We'll handle. We we can deal with that. That's fine. Huh. Um, so yeah, Northwestern. I really wanted them to win the West last year. They didn't. Um, of course, because Iowa decided to catch lightning in a bottle. Um, the schedule cooperates this year, admittedly. Like, we could be looking at a 4-0 Northwestern going into the Iowa game. Remember when they beat Stanford in week one last that year? That was wild. That was an awful game. I mean, yeah, it was, um, was god-awful. And you know what? If I was, as someone who lives in California, if you flew me to Evanston <laughs> for, for a... For what would be like local time, like eight AM kickoff, yeah, I'd probably lose too. True. Um, that brings up week one this year, which is an eleven AM local kick against the Boat Rowan Western Michigan Broncos. That they're going to be loaded on Red Bull. Oh my god, they're going to be so amped up. They might all pass out by the mid third quarter. Um, in front of the no fans, because Northwestern doesn't actually like start school until like the last week in September. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like that is no gimme game. Western Michigan's pretty tough, and like you said, Northwestern. From there's no there's no continuity from year to year between Northwestern seasons. They're all they're like you know they're like uh, the shows where they just draft the whole plot line and cast. Like they're they're basically they're like um they're like the True Detective of of the Big Ten. <laughs> Like, one year, it's kind of amazing and maybe a little overrated, but, like, you'll look past it because it's, you know, oh, this is a fun thing. And the next year, uh, you have uh, just total nonsense and Vince Vaughn's running around with bad accents. Yeah. Like, if True Detective went 10 years, though, because that's where we're at in the Patrick Fitzgerald era. Yeah, and that doesn't seem to be the case because True Detective may never come back. Yeah, I don't think it is. Pat Fitzgerald, on the other hand, will never leave. No. And you know what? Good for him. Good for him. He's the he's bizarre world Doug Maroon. He really is. No, it's like he's a, he he's who we thought Doug Marone would be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if, if if you were hope if you want to look at that uh, alternate reality, Northwestern is a pretty good analog. Agreed. 
So to close out Northwestern, here's, here's the rough stretch for them. October, well, okay, we'll, we'll skip Nebraska. At October 1st, at Iowa, they get a one-week break, but then at Michigan State, you got a pesky Indiana team, at Ohio State, Wisconsin. It's not easy, especially because, like, even Indiana, who they should be, that's no guarantee. Indiana has that weird game every year where they drop 50. That could easily be that game. Oh, yeah, because... Like, Indiana almost beat Ohio State last year for no reason. Yeah, just because they're Indiana. Like, screw it. Like, that, that's why Kevin I, I Wilson know, keeps I mean, his job. Yeah. Kevin Wilson should already be uh, someone else's, like, really awesome offensive coordinator again, and he just won't quite be bad enough. No, because he's going to go 6-6 six and six again this year. Yeah. I actually had to look it up because, like, at first I, I said that thing about Ohio State, and then I'm like, wait, was that the game where they, like, jumped out to a lead? But no, they actually legitimately almost beat Ohio State last year. They lost by uh, by seven points. So Indiana can, can occasionally do things. Indiana wasn't was actually a fun team last year. They yeah they beat WKU which is no uh, no slouch. No. They were the only team. They were one of the only teams in the Big Ten that I like wanted to tune in every week. Oh, and they put they put Michigan to double overtime, and they only lost to Iowa. By we're just talking about Indiana now. Yeah, I wasn't lost. going to, but while we're here, Michigan State blanked them like fifty-two, not literally blanked, but like they just murdered them fifty-two twenty-six, and then a bye, and then uh, they lost to Iowa by a touchdown. They lost to Michigan by a touchdown in double overtime. They crapped on Maryland, and then they crapped on Purdue, and then they lost a, a, a pinstripe bowl thriller to Duke. Um, like they were pretty, pretty pesky. Not they good. Were, they were but a couple like, breaks from were, like nine and three. Their game. They were a game team. They they took literally uh, maybe three of the four best teams in the Big Ten. They lost by a touchdown, and you know Michigan State just just swamped them, but. You know, you're not going to take all those teams to. to yeah, the they, brink, they were so. very close to a nine-win team. Yeah, yeah. They're like they were, they were like, they were a, a uh, like weird. They were like a northwestern season from like, you know, just getting a couple breaks and, and having a really nice year. Yeah. Um, we'll close. And then they could have lost to Tennessee by seventy-five. That would have been interesting. I don't think they would have though. I think they would have beaten <laughs> Tennessee, and then we'd be talking about Indiana as a top fifteen team. <laughs> Oh, that that'd be so funny, and then they then they'd win five games yeah, this year. I'd love that. Um, <laughs> before we get to just you know closing this out, because I know we're already in, in like double o- overtime over here. Um, Penn State, you suck because you are demanding a statue to a man that has been at this point proven to be not great at best. Um, so yeah, f you guys, uh, shut up about that. We're not going to go any further into it, um, and then beyond that. Dan, uh, who do you think wins each division, and who wins the Big Ten? Um, I'm going to go with Ohio State. Uh, I just trust them the most. I trust Meyer. I trust Barrett. Um, I think Michigan is getting a little too much love, uh, especially like Michigan right now is currently the most bet-on team to win the national championship, which is all you need to know about Michigan fans. Like they're, <laughs> they, they Give them an inch, they'll take a mile. They find quarterbacks. Right. If they get a quarterback, they could do it. They have a very good defense. Um, they should not be the most bet on team to win the national championship. I think they have the fourth best odds now, in large part because Vegas is like, uh, I see what's happening here. Uh, yes, we'll take your money. Uh, that's what Vegas does. Um, I, like, I, I like Ohio State. I don't. This could be the year Big Ten misses out in the playoffs, though. I do not think any of these teams is flawless by any means. I think Ohio State's the most vulnerable. Vulnerable it's been in a while, though they are wildly talented. May, they, it might next year is probably Ohio State's year to like really put together another special season because Barrett will 
likely still be there because I don't see him being an NFL jumper. Um, and they'll have like a whole, they'll have basically the whole team back. Um, and then out of the West, um, I just don't see Iowa doing it again. Um, but I don't trust anyone else in that league either. Uh, so I'm going to say it's, it's Iowa with like eight or nine wins and it's just going to be a really disappointing Big Ten championship. And Ohio State probably beats them by like 25 as they roll into the uh, maybe playoff, maybe just BCS. Or not BCS, whatever. New Year's yeah, I've got Michigan rolling over Iowa in similar fashion. Um, so, yeah. I do also have Michigan playing. You're not going to like this. I have Michigan <laughs> beating Alabama in the national championship game. Holy crap, man. Like, I would actually love that. Like, I, I would love that from a professional standpoint because Jim, the, the summer of Harbaugh next year would be unbelievable. Like, he might actually take a – he might actually carry a fake Nick, Nick Saban head oh, on a yeah. spike throughout his satellite camp tour. Like, I, I can't even – but then he would say that he has all the respect in the world for him. Um, it would be phenomenal. But Michigan fans would be so annoying. And – in New York City, like, there's no fan, as we always cover, there's no fan base that dominates New York City, but Michigan's easily in the top five, along with Notre Dame, Penn State, Syracuse, uh, a couple others. Uh, one, I guess one other top five, that's how that works. Um, but they're definitely, like, they might have the plurality, and, oh my god, there would be so much maize and blue, and I don't know that I could handle it, even though I have no inherent problem with Michigan fans. I just, I just know that it would be annoying ahead of time. Like, there, there's just no way it wouldn't be. I would 100% agree. And on that note, I guess we can close. Um, we went, again, a little bit over, but it happens. We, we, we laughed, we cried, we, we, we laughed and cried. These things, uh, these things all do occur on this podcast. Uh, Dan, as always, thank you for joining us. Yes. Yes. Hopefully it's uh, next week similarly eventful. Maybe Andrew White will commit and we can talk about that for. 25 minutes to talk about how amazing those rotations we would be. We actually don't have a podcast next week. Oh. I will oh. be in Europe, so we will not be meeting because oh. time zones don't work like that. Um, but yeah, I'll, uh, uh-huh. we'll, have, we'll have a week off, and then um, I'll be getting back, and we'll be talking all about European beer and, and all the nonsense that I missed being so many hours ahead of everything. And, and yeah, it, it'll be fun, and we'll talk... Uh, We'll talk my favorite conference, the Pac-12. You do realize we're going to schedule, we're going to fill out our entire football schedule from like 2017 to 2022 while you're gone, right? I, I'm going to be in such a goddamn rage if that happens. I mean, I'll be happy. <laughs> I'll be happy, but, but I'll be in such a goddamn rage. <laughs> uh, Dancing. Well, yeah, have fun oh, in I, Europe. I, will. I forgot that was yeah. happening. I'll definitely enjoy it. I'll tell you all about the, the British and Belgian beers that I, that I get to drink. Oh, I want to, I want to go to Belgium for beer. So I'm I, I will definitely report back. Um, so, yeah. Sweet. That's Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. Um, glad we have an AD. And, uh, yeah, only, well, less than two months till football. Everybody rejoice. Yes. Yes. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. 
Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.